Well, hello and welcome to Pathway. I'll give you my greetings as well, uh, the other ones that have been given to you. And uh, my name is Ben Marshall, and I'm the youth pastor here at Pathway. And it's my pleasure and honor to deliver God's word to you. And uh, so we're going to jump right into things with possibly the shortest and most famous verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. In John 11.35, we have this two-word verse. Jesus wept. It tells us much about the character of Jesus. It tells us much about the emotions of Jesus, how he interacted with his friends, and how he felt when he lost a, a close friend to death. Jesus wept. Now, we don't always talk about all of the different aspects of Jesus when we think about Jesus. Often what we do is we tend to focus in on a certain characteristics or aspects of who he is. Maybe there are certain characteristics that, that we connect with more than others or whatever it might be, but we don't always talk about all of the areas of Jesus' life. And I think one of them we don't talk often about is Jesus wept. Now, that's not where we're going to go today because it's, you know, New Year's and between Christmas and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so we're not going to talk about Jesus wept just as a way of introduction. Um, but another aspect of the life of Jesus that we don't often give much consideration to is the pace of the life of Jesus. The way that he lived his life in his pace. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he was often with people. He was often working miracles. He was often talking and teaching and healing and praying and doing a lot of things. And yet when we look at Jesus doing all of these things, we also see something that that almost feels a little bit contradictory to him doing all these things in that we see that Jesus was unhurried. Jesus was unhurried. The late Japanese theologian Kosuke Koyama wrote a book titled Three Mile an Hour God. He presented the idea that that this was the pace of Jesus. Three miles an hour is about the average walking pace. And when we see Jesus in the scriptures, we see that Jesus is one who walks. And so he talks about this three mile an hour God. Talking about the average walking pace and this pace of Jesus. The late Dallas Willard, also a theologian, he was asked, if you could describe Jesus in only one word, what word would you use? And he paused and he said, relaxed. Now us, when we're asked, hey, how's it going? How's, how's life? All, like, we often probably would not describe our lives or the lives of our friends or our loved ones as relaxed. More often, we use the term busy or overwhelmed or, or whatever it might be. We don't often use the word to describe ourselves as relaxed. But I think we can capture, just like Jesus wept, we can capture in two words this pace of Jesus using the words Jesus walked. Jesus walked. This is a defining characteristic of Jesus and his life is that Jesus walked. It gives us insight into how he moved, how he lived, how he lived out his love for others. Koyama went further with his three-mile-an-hour God, and he talked about the slowness of God's pace. And here's what he said. He said, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow 
yet it is Lord over all other speeds, since it is the speed of love. One idea that we'll return to a a few different times today is, is this idea that the pace of Jesus is the pace of love. The pace of Jesus is the pace of love, and we'll unpack that as we kind of continue on today. But I think we could say in our context, this one, uh, this one hits home for me, and maybe it does for you as well, but I think we could say that, that Jesus would drive the speed limit. All right, Jesus would drive the speed limit. Now bear with me for a second. I was driving today, and I was on my way back, back here. I was on the highway on 376, and uh, you know, the pace of traffic was faster than the speed limit. Okay, and so I was, you know, just following the pace of traffic, trying to be safe, you know, going the same speed as people around me, right, that kind of thing. And I come up on somebody who's, like, going the speed limit. I'm in the right lane, you know, trying not to be the fastest one because you don't want to get caught, right? You know, I'm, you guys know. Anyway, so I'm in the right lane, and I come up on somebody going probably the actual speed limit, and I'm like, oh, I got to pass them, right? I got to follow the, the pace of the rest of traffic. And so I get into the left lane, but it was like, it was one of those, those moments where you're, you're not quite sure, like, I've got enough space, right? Like, it, it's, it's decently close, but like, you know, he'll see me like I'm coming over, like that, that kind of thing. And so I, I did, I, I scooted over to the left lane, and, and this big old truck behind me, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, roared up, and it's like right on my bumper. I'm like, hello, sir, if I touch the brake, we're going to be shaking hands. So like, maybe back off a little bit, but he was a little frustrated because I got a little too close, even though I was going over the speed limit, following the pace. Of, you know, it's like, but Jesus would have been that person in the right lane, like going the speed of traffic, or sorry, not the speed of traffic, the, the actual speed limit. Because he wasn't hurried. Yes, he had places to go. Yes, he had things to do. He had people to meet, but he was never late. He wasn't hurried. And so this pace is not a, a, just a physical pace, but it's really a, a spiritual pace. It's a pace in our hearts of living unhurried, living at the pace of Jesus. If I were Jesus and, and it knew that my life had an end date— Right, I'm 32 years old. Jesus died about around the age of 33 or so. And so if I knew I had like less than a year to live, man, you better believe I would rush. <laughs> you better believe like I probably would not follow this speed limit very well because I'd be like, man, I, there's so many things I got to do, so many people I got to see, so much, so much stuff I got to do. Like I'd probably sleep very little, invest in like some, some coffee or energy drinks or something like that and, and just like go, 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 go because like I got, I got a limited amount of time. I got to move fast. Got to keep going. Got, it's like Sonic X, right? I got to faster, 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 Sonic X, whatever it is. Um, but that's like the pace that, that I would think that I need to live at because I know that my life is coming to an end, right? But Jesus knew his life was coming to an end, and he still walked. He didn't buy a fast horse and, and ride it from place to place. He continued on with an unhurried pace. We see often that many of the, the miracles in the Bible, or in the New Testament specifically, um, are interruptions into the life of Jesus. You think about all these interruptions that came up that, that turned into this miraculous moment that would not have happened if the pace of Jesus was different than his unhurried pace of love. And so we see that the world's pace and our pace are often, or sorry, the world's pace and, and Jesus' pace are often two different things. We see that, that the pace of our world is chaotic, and yet the pace of Jesus is intentional. Jesus was never in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was very intentional. The pace of our world is distracted, and yet the pace of Jesus is deliberate. He never did anything on accident. He was deliberate. The pace of our world is impatient, and yet the pace of Jesus is patience. 
when we look at some of these stories of the life of Jesus, we would have done things differently because there, there's certain priorities and, and different things happening, right? I was actually talking to somebody about this sermon, and, and we came into the, the story of uh, Jesus healing the woman that, that had the blood issue on his way to heal the, the girl that had just died, right? And, and it's like, well, one of these has a priority. Like, she's been dealing with this issue for 12 years. She can handle a few more hours, right? This other girl's about to die. Which one would be the priority? And in our mind, it would be obviously the one who's about to die. And so we would have just, like, left that other lady and, and gone to save the one who's going to die, because we're like, obviously a priority would be that one, right? But, but he stops. He doesn't even just like invite her, like, hey, we're going somewhere, like, why don't you come with us? He's like, he stops. He's like, hey, somebody touch me. His disciples are like, yeah, you're in a crowd. Everybody touched you. And he's like, no, power went out. And he invites that, that woman to, to announce, like, yeah, it was me. And he stops. And he looks her in the eye. And he touches her, and he talks to her. And he values her in that moment revealing that the pace of Jesus is the pace of love. Again, the pace of our world is uninterruptible, but the pace of Jesus invites interruption. The pace of Jesus is the pace of love. Again, the pace of his heart, soul, and spirit, not just physical pace. Yet we get caught up, don't we, in the pace of the world around us. We get caught up in it. One, because at times it's a requirement on us that maybe a boss has put on us or a certain life circumstance has put on us. That we get caught up in, in this pace of, of uninterruptibility, of, of frustration, of just like quick to be giving negative emotion or, or negative feedback or whatever it might be because really we were frustrated with the interruption or, or whatever it might be. Like our, our pace is usually uh, going so quickly and, and so uh, directed and it's so scheduled and so calendared that, that interruptions are really just deep frustrations that, that derail the rest of our day. Many of us are hurried and anxious and live at a pace out of step with love. We're not loving in many interactions and interruptions because we're out of step with the pace of love that Jesus set. And I want you to know, I, I don't come to you as an expert. As I say these words, I feel the own, or I feel like my own pangs of like, oh man, like I remember being frustrated with my daughter because I needed to get somewhere or I was hoping to do something and, and she interrupted. And in that moment, I did not follow the pace of Jesus. I followed the pace of the world. And so, so know like I, I'm a fellow uh, along the way, like trying to, to figure this out as well. I don't have this all figured out, but, but I know this is something that the Lord has for us that, that we need to be reminded of as we go into this new year that the pace of Jesus is the pace of love. During the beginning of the pandemic, early in 2020, uh, there, there was a, a consistent theme that, that seemed to come out from many. Now, it wasn't everybody. I, I realized, like, some, uh, for some, the, the quarantine and the stay-at-home orders and some of that was very, very challenging for a number of people. And, and so maybe this isn't your story, but I did hear from a number of people that there was a, a certain element to it that was desirable. Because what it did is it canceled sports. And those crazy schedules. It canceled going to a workplace. It canceled so many different things in our lives, and we were forced to be together. Again, for some of us, that was good. For some of us, that was not good. But one thing that, that I heard from a number of families is that, hey, family dinners are now back, right? Time together at home without much going on. What was back? Like, we got to reconnect in a way that we hadn't in such a long time. We got to worship together as a family, 
right? And there was this, this beauty to it and, and this, like, this real like, heartfelt desire to keep that going. And then as soon as the world opened back up, what happened? The busyness returned, and really it came back with a vengeance trying to make up for lost time. Right? Sports like double down. It's like, hey, we're going to go to twice as many games, twice as many practices because like, we've got to make up for lost time because you lost an entire season. And if you lose a season of this, well, boy, oh boy, you're not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Right? It's like, that's, that's basically what it is. You miss one season, you're done. Like, sorry, you know, you can't go to a community college and make it to the pros. And, you know, like, okay. But we see that the busyness just returned with a vengeance. And so our pace returned to the unsustainable pace of man, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. There never feels like there's quite enough time to do all of the things that I'm required or, or asked to do. And so many of us, our pace of life is unsustainable long-term, and, and we know it, but we don't know how to stop. John Mark Comer wrote a book uh, called The Ruthless Elimination of hurry. That name actually comes from Dallas Willard that I quoted earlier, uh, and, and he wrote a book kind of coming out of a quote that Dallas Willard had given talking about how to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. But John Mark Comer wrote, we all come to Sabbath voluntarily or involuntarily. What that means is at some point in time, something has to give and something will. Either you'll make a decision or the decision will be made for you by your body shutting down or something happening, either voluntarily or involuntarily. We are often overworked and underrested and live at an exhaustive pace. And so we need to rediscover the beauty of Sabbath rest. So that's what we're going to do today. We've been in a series called The Rest of the Story, and so for this kind of in-between, before we begin our next series, uh, I thought it'd be fun to just twist those words around and, and call it The Story of Rest. It's the, the story of rest is part of the story of Scripture, of, of creation and our present moment. Rest or, or Sabbath, I'll, I'll use them kind of interchangeably during this time, um, it, it's interwoven into the fabric of creation and because it's part of creation, it should be a part of our lives as well. And yet what we see in our lives is time, right? It, it all comes back to time. It never seems like there's quite enough of it. I like to stay busy. I like to say yes to, to new opportunities. I like to learn new things that often add new things onto my plate to, to continue to sustain that, that, uh, the hobby or whatever it might be. But, but what I need to do more, and I think what, what we collectively probably need to do more, is to say yes to rest and say yes to an actual Sabbath. So what is Sabbath? The Hebrew word is Shabbat, and it literally means to, to stop or to cease. It's a practice that we take up, and it's intentional, and it involves uh, four things. John Mark Comer wrote in, in that book I, I referenced, he, he calls it stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. These four elements he describes it as, as stop working, worrying about work and other things. Stop wanting that new car or house or, or other things. We, we stop. We stop working. We stop worrying. We stop wanting. We rest. We rest our mind. We rest our body. We rest our spirits. We delight. We celebrate the goodness of God and, and life in his world. And we worship. It's not focused on me time, right? It's worship. It's centering on God in your heart and attuning to the presence of God in gratitude and adoration. 
So today I'd like to take you into a, a brief introduction to the story of rest. Um, we're not going to be able to get to everything that I hope to get to. We're just going to scratch the surface because this goes much deeper than I think that most of us realize. This lack of Sabbath rest, this lack of ability to, to disconnect and to be truly at rest in the presence of our Lord. So we're not going to be able to unpack all of it today, but we'll, we'll do our best to give an introduction into this that hopefully will lead you in, into this desire to learn more about it. And I'll give you some resources along the way as well. So point number one is God created work and rest. God created work and rest. Both of them. Work is good and rest is good. But work without rest is not good and rest without work is also not good, right? You need both of them. You can't have one without the other. We begin in the book of Genesis for this story of rest. We see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created all these different things. Day one, God created light and separated light from darkness. Day two, God created the sky and separated the waters. Day three, God created the land, the earth, and gathered the waters on earth into the seas and vegetation on land and seed-bearing plants. Day four, God created the sun, moon, and stars. Day five, God created the sea creatures and every winged creature. Day six, God began by creating the livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth. And then that same day, God made man in his image and likeness, male and female. He created them. Six days of creation, very busy. Lots of work going on. Lots of things being created. People being created. Animals being created. Plants being created. All, all these things being created and, and set in specific boundaries. Then we get to day seven. Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 tells us what happened on this last day of creation. Something that, that God wove into the fabric of creation. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. So the heavens and the earth, and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. This seventh day is a holy day. It's distinct. It's set apart. You could call it a, a holiday because it's a holy day, right? That's kind of where the terminology came from a bit. So God wasn't tired in this work of creation, but he knew that his, his work was not finished. He knew the work of creation wasn't complete until he ceased. That's what it means to Sabbath, right? It's to stop, it's to rest, it's to enjoy the creation that was made. Adam and Eve's first day of life was a day of rest. They're created on the sixth, on that seventh day. What's the first thing that they did? They learned how to rest. And then God gave them the, the command to like be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and, and, and be good stewards of this creation, right? And he's like, okay, here's the work that you are to do, but know that that seventh day, it's holy, it's set apart to Sabbath, to rest. He created this Sabbath rest as the culmination of his creation. H.H. Farmer uh, said, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. Written into the grain of the universe is this need for rest. That we are not God, and even if we were, God rested. So how much more do we need to experience this rest? God gives us the example. He says, work hard, and then after you're done working hard, rest hard. 
right? There's not one without the other. Work and rest aren't opposed, but they're complementary to one another. The one necessitates the other, and both were created before sin entered the world. Both are good. God believes so much in, in this created intent that, that immediately after he rescues his people from slavery in Egypt, he gives them the Ten Commandments. Do you know what the longest commandment is? Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your gates, your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. It's now no longer just written into the fabric of creation as an example to live by. It's now no longer just something God does on the seventh day and, and gives us the example. It is now a, a command that God gives to his people. Now, why do you think God had to give them this command? I think it's because God knew how prone we are, how susceptible we are to overwork or overrest. Right, because in this command is both the command to work and the command to rest. And we don't often get those both right. Often we can work hard, and we know what it is to, to work hard, to put in the effort, to put in the hours, to do a good job. But do we really know how to rest hard as well? He commanded this to be celebrated weekly, this continual reminder that we need rest. Point number two is the Sabbath was made for you with love. It was made for you with love. God knew that we needed Sabbath rest. He, he knew <clears throat> that we would forget it, and so out of his love for us, he continues to remind us of it all throughout Scripture. When people worked on the Sabbath, it was a pretty severe penalty. Like, pretty severe. You can go read about it. It's pretty intense what happened to people who worked on the Sabbath. Even when they were going through the, <clears throat> going through the desert, and, and there are 40 years there, when God had given them manna, and, and like there wasn't all that much to do, they're wandering through the desert, God's leading them and directing them. Every single day they had to go and gather the manna, and they couldn't take enough for two days, except on the sixth day. And on the sixth day, what God said is, hey, on that sixth day, you're going to gather, gather enough for two days, because it's going to be the Sabbath, and you're not going to go gather. And though every other day, if you try to gather for two days, it's going to have maggots and be rotten, this time it's not, because I care so much about the Sabbath that I'm going to let you gather two days' worth of food for this, uh, for, for, to not have to go back and, and gather on the Sabbath. That's how much God cares about this. That's how much he cares about us, knowing how much we need it. He reminds us over and over, not just in the Old Testament, but moving into the New as well. Jesus confirmed th this need for Sabbath. We see it clearly in many places. He, he tells us specifically in Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, why the Sabbath was made. He says, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Matthew 12, 18 says the same thing and, and talks about Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath. 
This is something he's in charge over, something he's in command over, and, and he commends it as something good. Now, he was kind of coming at the Pharisees a little bit because they had so many rules and so much structure and like this, this incredibly long list of things you could and could not do. Like, you, you can do this, but if it's not life-threatening, then you shouldn't. You know, like all these different things of, of saying, like, you, you know, the, the certain Sabbath rules and all that. Like, I'm not coming to here to be that intense with you, okay? Like, it's going to look different for all of us. It's going to be a different day for all of us. It doesn't have to be the same day. It doesn't, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we look at, at Jesus and we see, he says, the Sabbath was made for you. It was made for you because you need it. You need to be intentional with this rest. As we mentioned earlier, the pace of Jesus is the pace of love. And, and God gifted us the, the pace of Jesus written into his creation. He commanded it to his people because of his love for us. Not trying to force something upon us that is not needed, but something that is so desperately needed in our lives, and yet we don't always understand it as such. He's also not just Lord of the Sabbath, but we see in Matthew 9, 37 and 38 that he's also Lord of the harvest, right? He's Lord of the work and Lord of the rest. This is the God we serve. And so we live in, in light of both of those and realize that they both are necessary. They complement one another. So again, if Jesus rested, what, what makes us think that, that we would be able to go, go, go all the time and not experience deep rest, not experience true rest consistently? Like this is a, a weekly call to rest. It's not a like, hey, yeah, take a two-week vacation once a year. This is a weekly period of rest. What holds us back from being able to live that out? Again, some additional resources that, that you can look up. We've talked about the Three Mile an Hour God by Ko Kosuke Koyama. Um, there's the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. There's a podca podcast by John Mark Comer called Fight, Hustle, and Hurry um, that is really impactful and, and kind of brings some of these ideas of the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry um, in, into like more of a conversational type of thing. And then uh, one book that, that has been pivotal for my understanding of Sabbath and rest is called Subversive Sabbath by A.J. Swoboda. And I just want to read you a few quotes from this book um, because they're, they're so important and so helpful. They, they've been impactful to me. Uh, they continue to impact me, like even as I put them down and, and read them, like they continue to impact me in a powerful way. So I want to share them with you. The first one says this, the Sabbath is a gift we do not know how to receive. In a world of doing, going, and producing, we have no use for a gift that invites us to stop. But that is the original gift, a gift of rest. Another quote says, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do. Rather, we are who we are loved by. Sabbath and the gospel scream the same thing. We do not work to get to a place where we finally get to breathe and rest. That is slavery. Rather, we rest and breathe and enjoy God that we might enter into rest. And one more quote. He says, page after page and story after story, book after book, Sabbath comes to us. This is not a minor motif in the story of the Bible. It is one of the greatest themes of the Bible. Sabbath is not extra credit. It is a commandment, not a suggestion. Sabbath is God's eternal way of helping us worship our good God 
and not worship the good work he has given us to do. Again, this beautiful gift of Sabbath is something that calls us to change our pace. It's not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. It's, it's about our, our hearts and, and the pace of our hearts. It's out of God's love and care for us that he gave us this example in the Old Testament, and then we see it lived out in the person and life of Jesus Christ. But the challenge is we don't always view it as a gift, do we? We don't always look at rest as a good gift. Instead, we start to think, I don't have time for that. There's, there's too much to do. There's too many things going on. I don't have time to rest. Who has time to actually do that? You mean 24 hours? Like, are you kidding me? Do you know what kind of things I would miss if I rested for 24 hours? If I turned my phone off for 24 hours? If my notifications didn't do anything for 24 hours? Like, can you imagine the agony that would cause And then God steps in and he says, yeah, but is your pace sustainable long-term? Could that be the reason for some of your challenges, some of your anxiety, some of your stress? Because you're refusing to rest? And this brings us to point number three that says a, a refusal to rest reveals the object of your trust. Again, a refusal to rest reveals the objects of your trust. Your calendar and your credit card statement tend to reveal your priorities, right? Your calendar and your credit card statement tend to reveal your priorities because your money and your time go to the things that you care about most. And in the same way, refusing to rest <clears throat> reveals where we place our trust. Do we place our trust in I have to get the work done because, like, we need money to put it on the, the food on the table. Like, I'm trusting in myself to get this done. Like, like yeah, like, God is going to bless, but, like, also, like, I, you know, like, I'm sorry, like, another overtime or another day away or another night or another job or it's always another, another, another. And, and like, when is it going to be enough where you actually, like, trust God to come through? Refusal to rest reveals the object of your trust. Raise your hand if you're a Chick-fil-A fan. Any Chick-fil-A fans? It's okay if you're not. I know not everybody is. Like, I am. My wife, like, is, is on the fence. Like, I'm trying to win her over. Like, we're almost there. But she's like, it's just chicken. I'm like, it's God's chicken. Like, it's delicious, right? But anyway, that's a whole other side thing. But Chick-fil-A, what do you crave most on Sunday afternoon? The one thing that's closed on Sunday, right? It's Chick-fil-A. It's like you drive past, you're like, oh, your mouth starts watering a little bit. It's like, I could really go for some Chick-fil-A. I've actually pulled in the drive-thru of Chick-fil-A on a Sunday and, and forgot until I got to the drive-thru that they're closed. And it's like the biggest letdown. But Chick-fil-A revealed where their trust is. They're like one of the most profitable brands out there, right? One of the most recognized brands out there, Chick-fil-A. And what do they do? They close, honestly, for longer than 24 hours. <laughs> Every single week. And wow has God blessed them. Like, yes, they bring an, an incredible product, right? They do this very, very well. They work super hard for six days, and that seventh day, they rest hard. But they're also not so legalistic that, you know, we've seen different stories of things that have come out in snowstorms and, and horrible situations where, like, there have been some things fired up on Sundays, or maybe there's been food left, or I don't quite know how it all works, but, like, Chick-fil-A has delivered food on, on Sundays to, to bring them to people that have been in, like, they're not so legalistic about it that it's never, you know, like, they're, oh, sorry, our, our doors are closed. Like, you know, like, but they have committed. We trust in this commitment, in this command that God has given us, and God has blessed that organization, 
What if he did the same thing in our lives? We have to make a decision. Again, a refusal to rest reveals the objects of our trust. And what we talked about earlier, if you choose not to rest, at some point the decision will be made for you, voluntarily or involuntarily. So we need to make a decision. And we come back to time. And we have limited time, don't we? And so many things to do, so many tasks to complete, so many things going on, so many activities. And so how do we make the time? And, and the beauty is, like, we can't. We only have 24 hours in a day. There's a ton of stuff that has to be done. The beautiful thing is the world continues to spin. Life continues to move on, even if you miss out on an activity, even if you can't be somewhere, because your where matters. And so God made the time for us. He wrote it into creation. You wonder, how do you make the time? God already did it for you. He set it apart. He gave you a holy day, a whole day, to rest. We just don't often take him up on that offer. We don't often receive that gift. He wrote into time the, the need for rest. And so if we are unable to truly enter that rest, maybe it's because we are not willing yet to fully trust him. To fully trust that, that things will be okay if we don't respond right away to something. That things will be okay if you turn off the notifications on your phone or if you take an email app off of your phone so you can only access it while you're at work. Or maybe your kid doesn't go pro in that sport. That's actually okay. Maybe they actually enjoy the sport a little bit more because there's a little bit less pressure. Maybe things look a little different because our priority is not money, position, power, authority, our priority is faithfully following God and what he calls us to do. In this command to keep the Sabbath, God uses a, a specific word, and he says, remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's something we have to continually remind ourselves of. Point number four is remembering the Sabbath takes intentionality. There's always going to be excuses. There's always going to be something else to do. There's always going to be something else going on. There's always going to be something else on TV. There's always going to be another thing that you need to respond to. There's always going to be another activity. There's always going to be something happening. There's always going to be an excuse to not do this. How do I know? Because I make them all the time right? I'm, I'm guessing you probably do too. <laughs> Mark Buchanan wrote, Sabbath is not the break that we're allotted at the tail end of completing all our tasks and chores, the fulfillment of all our obligations. It's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of them without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could. Let me read that one more time, because if you didn't amen that, like, we got some more work to do. Okay, because here we go. Mark Buchanan wrote, Sabbath is not the break we're allotted at the tail end of completing all our tasks and chores, the fulfillment of all our obligations. It's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of them without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could. Thank you, right? Is that not so freeing to be like, 
all right, I can leave that unchecked. I can leave that not crossed off because it's still going to be there when I'm done resting. Just take a deep breath, you know? Just like let it out slowly. It's like, man, what a different pace of life that is than the frenetic pace of our world. So how do we do this? How do we remember it? How do we keep it holy? Well, you all know, if you fail to plan, then you're planning to fail. So you have to make a plan. You have to be intentional about this. You have to look at your schedule and say, when is it going to be? Not being so legalistic like the Pharisees and making all these rules and regulations around it because then you're just doomed for failure because you're not going to do it right the first time. And they're just going to be like, well, it's not worth it. I can't do it. Like, be gracious with yourself as well. But if you don't plan for it, then it'll never happen. If you don't actually put it in the calendar, it'll never happen. If you don't actually sit down and say, hey, we're going to do this together as a family or as a group or, or whatever it is, then it's not going to work if you don't plan for it. Like, you don't accidentally Sabbath unless it was involuntary and you're, like, in the hospital somewhere and, you know, something happened and then it was forced upon you. Like, it doesn't just, like, accidentally happen. It has to be intentional. You have to make a plan to do it. So make a plan. When are you going to stop? When are you going to rest and delight and worship intentionally sometime in the next seven days? It's not like, oh, yeah, man, I think there's some free time on the calendar in March. Okay, now what about like the couple months before that and like this week, right? So good, you got March planned out, that's great. Now let's work back from there and get every single week until then and find some space in the calendar to rest because you need it, because your kids need you to do it, because really your work needs you to do it, because we in the church need you to do it so that we can be this community of believers together that is actually following what the Word of God calls us to do, doing the hard work of living this hard challenge of Sabbath. It takes intentionality. Uh, as I was preparing this message, this, this word came to me that I just want to toss out to you. It's like a little bit extra, but, uh, you know, we're talking about like notifications and distractions and some of that, and, and so like this word just like came together. I don't think it's a real word, so maybe we're inventing a word here today, but distractifications— right? Distractifications. Like, that's what they are. Every single notification just distracts you from something else. So, like, turn them off. Imagine how freeing it is to not just have ding, 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 whatever. Like, and you can set things on your phone to, like, like the important people make it through, right? So, like, if I'm in your phone, like, you, obviously, like, I'm going to make it through if I call you, but I'm just kidding. But, like, you have your family member set as, like, important, so it, like, makes it through your, like, blocks and all that kind of stuff. So, like, if you really, truly need something or someone needs to get a hold of you, they still can, but every other notification is turned off because they're just distractifications. We need to turn them off and, and be present. And as we plan this Sabbath, we need to remember that, that Sabbath is, is more about who than it is how, right? We can just go all day on, on how to do it, where to do it, what it looks like, like all, the, all these different things, and we can just get lost in the weeds. But what we need to do is remember who it's all about. As we stop and rest and delight and celebrate, and worship. It's all about God, and His glory, His sovereignty, His command, and so we rest in Him, knowing that we're secure in Him, knowing that we can rest because He did, and He set it forth as something that we can do as well, that we need to do as well. Sabbath is all about Him, 
So I realize you might leave today and, and not have the, these practical of like, okay, here's exactly what it looks like, but that's because Sabbath for you is probably going to look different than Sabbath for me. It might be on a different day. Maybe for you, Sunday is your Sabbath day. Like, it's kind of a work day for me, right? So it's like, it's not going to look the same for all of us. Maybe that can't be your Sabbath day, but figure out what works in your schedule. And you know what? Maybe you set it, and it's not even a 24-hour period yet because you're just getting into it. Maybe you just set it so it's like, hey, we've got five hours on Saturday morning, and that's our Sabbath. We don't do anything. Everything's off. No TV, no phones, no, no, no screens or, or technology at all. We just, like, sleep in. We don't go anywhere. We don't turn the car on. We stay home, and we just hang out. Maybe play a board game. Maybe you go ride bikes. Maybe you go on a family hike. Whatever it is, like, you know, like, these, these things need to, like, we need to be gracious with ourselves and not just immediately commit to, like, okay, every single uh, Friday night to Saturday night for 24 hours every single week starting this week. Well, okay, that's a great goal, but why do most New Year's resolutions fail? Because you aim really, really, really high, so far from where you are now that it's, like, unattainable. You gotta, like, get those small goals that get you the big one, right? So, like, start small, plan for it, and keep at it. We want to reconnect with God through rest. Again, most of us know how to work hard. We know what it is to, to put in that effort, to put in the time. But my question is, do you also know how to rest well? And when we talk about resting well, it's not binging Netflix. It's not binging social media. It's not scrolling through. Remember, it's not doing any of that. It's not resting in a distracted state it's resting de dependent on God. It's resting focused on Him. It it's a spiritual time, not just to like, oh, I'm bored. Like, what are we going to do? Like, oh, let's pray together. Let's maybe sing some songs together. Let's maybe watch something up uplifting, like The Chosen or something like that, that, that points to Jesus and celebrates Him. It's not easy to do this kind of Sabbath. It's not something that, that comes naturally to us. We have a natural need for it, and we feel it in our bodies at times, but it's not natural for us to actually do it and commit to do it well, to work hard and to rest hard. But either way, God wrote rest into creation. He gave us this gift. So if God said it, <laughs> we should do it, no matter how hard it might be. It goes for rest, it goes for a lot of things in the Bible, but specifically around this idea of rest. It's a story that, that began in the very beginning in creation that has been woven into this entire story of Scripture, this entire story that, that God is writing. And it continues in our lives today and, and will continue far beyond our lives as well, this idea of Sabbath rest. As you think about this Sabbath rest, it, it's something that, that we would have a, a very hard time experiencing if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We enter into His rest ultimately. If we know and, and follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, th this rest and this Sabbath is something we enter into in a deeper, more spiritual and peaceful and joyful way than without Him. Without Him, it's a little bit meaningless for all this rest. We still need it, but it, it doesn't have the same rejuvenation or a reviving power in it. 
And so if you're here and, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and you've not really experienced the, the rest of Jesus or the pace of Jesus, as you enter his rest, what it, what it does is it makes it so you don't have to follow the, the standard and the way of the world, but instead you get to live a new life. You're reborn as a new creation in Jesus Christ and you're able to live differently than the world around you. You're able to follow the pace of Jesus because the Holy Spirit lives in you. It's this amazing rest that we get to enter into when we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, the book of Romans in chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, tell us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What this tells us is we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, which means that you're not. <laughs> you're not the ruler of your life. You don't set the direction of your life. You're, you're not the, the king sitting on the throne or the queen sitting on the throne of your own life. Jesus is. You confess that he's Lord of your life. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which means you believe in Jesus as your Savior as well. That he paid the price for your sins that no one else could pay, that you can't pay for yourself. He made a way for you to be at peace with God, to enter the rest of God. Jesus paved the way for that by his shed blood on the cross, by dying and being buried in a tomb, and God raised him from the dead three days later. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never done that, you can do that here today. You can pray a simple prayer and, and just do that. Just confess, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. I believe that I am not the ruler of my life, but you are. And I confess that, that I believe that, that you died on a cross for my sins. You paid the price that I couldn't. And you rose again from the dead three days later. I believe in you, Jesus. Help me to enter your rest. Words not followed by actions don't mean much. So it's not the words that save you, but it's the belief in your heart followed up by following the commands of Scripture. So if that's something that, that you did, I would love to hear about it. I'd love for you to come talk to me after this sermon. We'd love to celebrate with you and help you walk in these next steps. Entering into the rest of Jesus, but also entering into the rest of the story that enables us to, to faithfully follow him and, and look at what it means to be a part of a, a larger body of Christ and believers in Jesus Christ together. Thanks for your time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus. We thank you for the pace of Jesus that, that changes so much of our understanding and, and view of this world. God, I pray that you would help us to do the hard work of rest, to do the hard work of, of entering into the, the pace of Jesus, because it is the pace of love. And, and we confess, Lord, that, that often we are impatient. Often we are living chaotic and, and frantic lives, not at peace, not relaxed, but busy and hurried and overwhelmed. God, I pray that you would bring us to a place that is different, a place that is healed from that a place that is entering into the rest of Jesus and following his pace. We need your help, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.